You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. We had a deal with you on the comics, remember, for likeness rights? And as we're not only the artistic basis, but also obviously the character basis for your intellectual property, Bluntman and Chronic, when said property was optioned by Miramax Films, you were legally obliged to secure our permission to transfer the concept to another medium. As you failed to do that, Banky, you are in breach of the original contract. Ergo, you find yourself in a very actionable position. Yeah. The credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. And we're getting near the end of our look at the Viewisk universe. What is that? Well, it's uh, films directed and written by Kevin Smith featuring the characters of Jay and Silent Bob. This was a franchise uh, chosen, voted by you, the listeners of sequel cast. So thank you for that. Uh, With me is Thrasher. Hello, hello out there listening. And uh, be sure to check out our website at sequelcast.com. And later in the show, we'll talk about more exciting things on the website. Uh, listening, hello. Hello, listening out there. Oh, you're out there. Out there, hello. Can you hear me, God? It's me, Margaret. Listen, hello out there. With, uh, But we do want to mention, of course, the theme song, as always, is written and performed by Mark with a C. And you can check out his great stuff at uh, markwithac.com. He has a lot of great albums on there. So, shout out to good old Mark. Uh, so yeah, Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back uh, came out in 2001, uh, when Dogma came out in 99, so two years later. And uh, uh, this is, you know, written and directed by Kevin Smith, produced by Scott Mosier, starring uh, pretty much a cameo from anyone that's ever been in a Kevin Smith movie. Up to that point, yeah. Up to that point. But it also has other people like Will Ferrell. And, uh, oh, and Tracy Morgan, who would in the future be in a Kevin Smith movie. That's right. Tracy Morgan has a small part. The music in this is by James L. Venable. Cinematography by Jamie Anderson. And um, this, uh, you know, made uh, money, but not quite as much as Dogma. Domestically, it made $33 million off a budget of 22 which uh, a lot of Kevin Smith's film theatrically uh, make around thirty million or so. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And the title, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, is made to look like the Star Wars uh, sequel title, The Empire Strikes Back. And if anything, not, I think not the Lord of the Rings Part Two, Sauron Strikes Back. Right? No, not that one. I think that might be the Hobbit Part Three. Maybe they'll call that Sauron Strikes Back. Or, or Back to the Future Two, Biff's Revenge. There and back again, but back there again because I left some scrumpets. Uh, <laughs> a scrumpet's not a word. What, crumpet is the right word? Strumpet is also Strump- a word. Strumpet, yes. I, um, uh, either way, you never want to let them get cold. Boom! No, uh, another actress that's in this that hasn't really been in Kevin Smith stuff before up to this point was uh, Shannon Elizabeth of American Pie fame. So, Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Uh, when they made this film, they... It's a deliberate uh, call-out to the Muppet movie as far as it being kind of a road movie with crazy adventures along the way. And we've talked about the Muppets on older episodes of the sequel cast uh, not so long ago. But you actually, say older, I say classic. Classic, yeah, that's a better word. Vintage is an even better word than classic, I think. The, the, the last series we did, in fact. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Thrasher, when is the first time you saw Jay and the Silent Bob strike back? Uh, a few days ago. I watched it in preparation for this episode. Yeah, it's uh, as of this recording in uh, late uh, September 2012. Uh, it's available on Netflix Watch instantly. And um, So what did you think? We've been watching you know, a Kevin Smith movie a week for the past month or so now. Yeah, I, I really wanted to love this movie. 
I really, really tried to love this movie, but it just did not grab me uh, the way Dogma or Chasing Amy did. Interesting. I think, or, well, or even the way, yeah. or even the way Clerks and Mallrats did. Hmm. It's uh, yeah. It, I think in some ways it's kind of like a a hand job of a film where Kevin Smith <laughs> is jerking himself off on top of all his fans. I mean, it's it's truly a movie for the fans. The more you know and love all these characters and all these movies the more you'll get out of the uh, the references and the, the the jokes. And, I mean, this is Kevin Smith in nonstop cartoon mode. I remember when this came out, I had a pass to see an advanced screening with a friend of mine, and we showed up two hours before the movie started, and there was a, a line snaking its way through the whole mall. We couldn't get in. Huh. So we uh, ended up catching it in the theater by ourselves, I think, you know, like a day later or something when the film actually came out. It wasn't that much of an advanced screening. Um, did I tell you that I got to interview Kevin Smith on the phone when I was in college? No, no, I knew about Al Lowe. I didn't know about Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, when I was at a Georgia State University for about a year and a half in Atlanta, Georgia. I was on the student newspaper, the GSU Signal. And uh, to promote for Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I was on part of a, a phone interview where they kind of go round robin between representatives of like 20 different college newspapers. And uh, I blew all my questions. I didn't ask him about Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back at all. I was asking him about an uh, an adaptation of the comic book Preacher that he was a producer on that never got off the ground. Um, so my newspaper wasn't happy with me for that, but I uh-huh. it was still a thrill getting to ask uh, ask those questions. And for Kevin Smith in particular, everyone was asking questions having nothing to do about the movie. Because he had such a big online presence at the time. And then even now, I mean, Kevin Smith knows how to use the internet uh, to, to great effect. Whether it's his uh, Twitter account, at that Kevin Smith. Uh, he has a podcast, Empire, and I mean that in the best way, at um, <laughs> S- uh, Sir Radio. I think it's called. It's like Smodcast is the main show on there. But there's like all sorts of shows. And he tours live, doing these shows live in different venues. And I think tickets... Or a little bit pricey. I was going to go, but I was uh, not quite pay time yet uh, when he was in Portland, Oregon recently. But I'll have to catch him next time. And uh, he also does a lot of DVDs where he does these speaking engagements for a few hours at a time. Have you ever seen any of those? You know, no, no, I haven't. Like I've listened to, I've listened to the the ABCs of SNL podcast. That, yeah, with uh, John Lovitz, yep. which is really enjoyable. And I've listened to uh, uh, Kevin Smith guested on an episode of How Did This Get Made about the Wild Wild West where he, he tells the <laughs> oh, okay. Superman giant spider story. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That, that's been the limit of my exposure to Kevin Smith on podcast. Cool. And, uh, you know, Kevin Smith with Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, this brings up an issue in the story that you brought up while we were watching Chasing Amy. And um, that in Chasing Amy, uh, the main characters have a comic called Blunt Man and Chronic that's obviously modeled after Jay and Silent Bob. Right. And... You know, you were asking when we did that show, did did they get money from that? What's that whole relationship? And they get into that a bit at the start of this film. I mean, what do you think about, you know, in the beginning, you get, like, direct shout-outs to Clerks, except it's in it was, color. I thought it was a real strong beginning. I yes, like that. Yeah. I like that kind of lame origin story for Jay and Silent Bob and their friendship. <laughs> you know, I like the inclusion of the quick stop and a lot of the clerk's characters. It really, it really gets the ball, the ball rolling. Uh, I like, and I, it just gets me feeling really, really good because I enjoy seeing all these characters together again and interacting on that level. And all those references are like so uh, subtle in some ways. They visit, uh, Brody from Mallrats, he's wearing the same jacket and the same t-shirt that he wore in Mallrats. <laughs> yep. And they, they meet uh, Holden McNeil, played by Ben Affleck, while he doesn't have a goatee, which I think is kind of a shame. Uh, the minute when they walk up to his house, it plays a few bars from the opening credits music of Chasey and Amy. Yeah, I love those I love that none of Kevin Smith's View Askew movies have taken place in a vacuum, but I love that... that I, I love the little ways this movie interlinks with the other ones. I love that it makes it part of a larger body of work. You know, it's like when it's like when I'm watching the new Doctor Who and they make reference to like some bit of Doctor Who ephemera for, from 50 years ago. I love <laughs> yeah. those kind of callbacks. I, I think that that really rewards the audience for paying attention and investing into the movies. 
and and it does, and a little bit of plot happens in this movie because of that. I mean, the whole reason Jay and Silent Bob eventually get going on their quest is that they realize that they should be entitled to character likeness money because Blunt Man and Chronic became a movie. Yeah, and I think that's a real tricky thing. You look at the other View Askew Universe films we've talked about, and you can hear them all at SequelCast.com or go to the Facebook uh, page at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And you see uh, Jane Silent Bob are characters that are, you know, spices sprinkled throughout the film in very light doses. But here they have to lead a picture, and I don't think they're the problem here in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. No, I but, agree. Like, that that was my, my concern and Sarah's concern going into the film was that these two characters wouldn't be able to hold a movie. And I found that they held it perfectly well. They made a good comedic dyad. Uh, I like their friendship. I, I was never bored with Jay and Silent Bob. That's not what I didn't like about the movie. Yeah, and at the beginning you have some real funny cameos from George Carlin, uh, Carrie Fisher. Oh, yeah. it's uh, And, I mean, it has its tongue planted firmly in cheek. Where I find the movie kind of grinds to a halt is uh, as part of their journey, they stop for uh, for fast food and to use some internet at a, a Mubi's a fast food restaurant, which is a nice shout out to Dogma. And while they're there, they end up joining the Coalition for the Liberation of Itinerant Tree Dwellers, which spells clit, uh, which now is that's... an all female group of uh, like hippie, kind of like a Greenpeace sort of movement. Well, that that's after a whole bunch of time wasting nonsense, though. Like, where did the time the time wasting nonsense start for you, Thrasher? Uh, it started just after George Carlin's trucker blowjob scene. I thought that was that's a great. Like, I thought that was okay. a great bit of comedy. Yeah, but then like everything after that just felt like time wasting nonsense. Like the whole thing with the nun. Like I thought the whole thing with the nun would have been much more interesting if the nun did have a penis. The nun mm. played beautifully by Carrie Fisher, and, and then the whole Scooby Doo thing, all all that Scooby Doo stuff had already happened on Harvey Birdman. But even when it happened on Harvey Birdman, it had already happened in every high school in America since Scooby Doo had been on the air. Right, you were talking uh, in our Dogma show, I think, about you know some deleted scenes that are really interesting. The DVD for Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Although I don't think the Blu-ray has these for whatever reason, has tons and tons of deleted scenes, uh, and especially extended sequences uh, when the um, the rip-off Scooby-Doo game all get high, and for whatever reason uh, Scooby-Doo gets uh, starts masturbating, and his dog semen blasts the top off the truck. Uh, is a scene that got cut from this film. I think this had uh, Jay oh. Silent Bob Strike Back had to be resubmitted to the MPAA several times. To get an R rating, and uh, well, you know mainly the MPAA. Yeah, right. And if if you uh, want to know about like the movie rating system in the U.S., the MPAA, Motion Picture Association of America, um, there's a great documentary called "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." Amazing documentary, uh, which uh, goes into de- and even Kevin Smith speaks on that, I believe, as, as someone uh, talking about the very biased uh, system we have for rating movies here. But so you think it kind of, I mean, you are kind of waiting. If they would have hurried up and gotten to Hollywood in like 10 minutes and you could have had more Hollywood satire, I think that would have been better because that stuff, the end of the movie, it really picks up a lot. But in the middle, you get this nonsense with these women that I didn't think were especially interesting. They're at Charlie's Angels and... uh, Homage, knockoff, kind of. I think well, with the names well, and stuff. The, the setup is that they're the setup is that they're going to liberate some animals from a laboratory. But after a whole lot of digging around, when they finally get to the laboratory, the whole thing turns out to be cover for a uh, high tech jewel heist, and they're going to use Jane Silent Bob as patsies, which brings up a real issue because there's this really annoying guy who plays guitar who's originally in their group, who you find out later was going to be their original Patsy. Well, if they already had a Patsy, why did they get Jay and Silent Bob involved in all this? Well, that character, a character name is Brent, played by Sean William Scott, best known as Stifler from the American Pie saga. Uh, I think that character's funny, but right, he's just kind of a one-joke character. And I think they they just found him annoying and you know uh, justice played by shannon elizabeth also of american pie fame 
found something sexy, I think, in Jay and Silent Bob, or more interesting, that Brent is like this real conservative acoustic guitar playing with the braces, and yes, it's a stereotype to the nth degree, but I, I found that amusing. I thought that was one of the better things out of these uh, scenes with uh, the clip groove. His, his song on the guitar was funny. It's just that, I guess it's kind of just like a storytelling issue. If they already had a Patsy, why did they then pick up two redundant Patsies? Well, and this whole storyline is lifted straight out of the Chasing Dogma comic book uh, that came out w- around when Dogma came out that tells what uh, Jay and Silent Bob did in between Chasing Amy and Dogma, presumably. But this whole thing of freeing the orangutan and all that is almost like frame for frame from that comic, uh, which is kind of weird. And I think, yeah, it kind of takes away from they're trying to get to Hollywood you could have had some villain that was like an evil uh, producer and cut back and forth and created some tension. But the movie is fine to amble on on its merry way with um, this nonsense with Will Ferrell as uh, Marshall uh, Will and Holly. Who, he, he's okay, and you got Jed Nelson there too, but it just seems like uh, you're twiddling your thumbs to get to the Hollywood stuff, right? Where I that, think the film really takes of a off. perfectly good Land of the Lost joke. Well, it's meant to be a uh, Land of the Lost joke. and No, I know it is. It's just, it's wasted. Yes, but ironically, Will Ferrell later starred in a film, uh, Land of the Lost. That was kind of a spoof of the TV show in some ways. Did you see that picture? No, no, I didn't. It, it's one of those things, I, even as an adult, I adore the original Land of the Lost. At least the, the first, I adore the first season. I adore the second and third season progressively less, but it's still, I, I find it very enjoyable. I, I, I don't know if I, like, I, I, wa- I want to see a movie that's going to have fun with something I love from my childhood, but I don't want to watch a movie that just relentlessly mocks something I love from my childhood. You know, I think it does a good balance between the two, even though it's not the it's not the best picture in the world, but it does have sort of an adventure story in there, which I wasn't expecting. And I thought Danny McBride is pretty funny. I don't know, I think you'd get a kick out of it. They do uh, some practical effects of the makeup and stuff. And, and the movie was like, uh, it didn't do so well. It wasn't a huge success, but that, it, that they made it to the big screen at all is, is kind of nuts. Uh, so many years later, right? I suppose so, but at the same at the same time, everything's getting remade. Yeah, so it's, it's not too shocking with the the current uh, filmmaking climate. Well, I mean, a part of the reason uh, they do that is you know it's name recognition. It's something you recognize. I mean, like witness like the Tim Burton film Dark Shadows that just came out in theaters. I have not seen it. I've seen some of the soap opera off which it's based, but there's literally hundreds of episodes of that show. And that's a marvelous show, but I think I think that's that's the problem with that whole strategy. They're going with things people recognize. They're not bothering to find out whether people actually like the thing they recognize. I think the big problem with Dark Shadows, uh, and I haven't seen the movie, and I want to rent it. My wife really wants to see it because uh, she grew up watching repeats of that show with her mom and so on. Uh, but they released a kind of retro camp uh, drama soap opera thing. With vampires in March or April instead of October? Yeah, like, that's yeah, weird. probably shouldn't be a summer blockbuster. No, and it was not, as it turned out. It, but, it I mean, should be an alternative to the holiday films that start creeping up around uh, Halloween time. I am excited about the upcoming uh, film that's co-directed by Tim Burton, Frankenweenie. That's a, a remake of a short film he did early in his career. But we're not talking about Tim Burton on the sequel cast. We're talking about Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. A film that's so episodic, it makes it a challenge to talk about. Um, part of the internet satire in here, in the beginning where they're at movies, they go to a website called Internet Poop Shoot that is a, a takeoff on Ain't It Cool News, which is a site that's still around. I, I really liked all that stuff. Why? Well, well, you know what it is? Um, as I mentioned, several of my, of my good friends in college were tremendous uh, Kevin Smith fans, and... Uh, and you know, you know, come two thousand, Kevin Smith was really building an online community for for fans of his work. Oh yeah, uh, and he has a, a, a huge website. And just from talking to them, there was all sorts of stuff that was always happening on the website. Just talking to them, you know, I picked up a lot of it. Uh, some of them would submit fan art to the website. One of uh, one of my friends, uh, Paige, 
she, Kevin Smith, if somebody really pissed off Kevin Smith or was being really abusive on the, uh, uh, on the on the forums or on his message boards, he he would ban them, and it became kind of a catchphrase. I hit you with the band the band stick, and mm. she actually made a band stick, which she gave huh. to him at Dragon Con, I think in two thousand two or two thousand three. So the, the the short of it is like seeing this now. I remember all the stuff I was hearing about the business on the forums from my friends and all and. I'm I'm wondering if some of those usernames were actual people from the Kevin Smith uh, message boards, and if any of those were actual quotes people had posted on the internet when it was announced the Jane Silent Bob movie was going to get made. Right, they might have been. I, I recall reading interviews with Kevin Smith throughout the years. I, I like to keep up in his career. I think he's an entertaining uh, director and actor and personality and so forth. And he was saying that, you know, Kevin Smith gets criticized for his visual style as a director. He doesn't use a lot of sweeping epic shots. It's a lot of two shots and three shots. Sta- oh, I don't pr- mind that, though. Right, no, I, I don't either. But because of all that, yeah, for he would really keep up and post on the, the message boards at the time at com. I don't think they really exist anymore as far as I know. But um, he would really get offended and, and, or get, like, upset and write these, like, three-page long replies to all these people. And it really kind of wore them down after a while. And uh, so I think part of the, the stuff in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back is a response to that. But also, specifically, it's mocking Ain't It Cool News, which is a, a website at ain'titcool.com uh, run by Harry Knowles uh, that I've been following since they started, uh, you know, when I was, like, in middle school or something in the, in the mid-'90s. And... The the comments on that website in particular are ridiculous, you know, because it's the internet, because you're, you're often using a fake name posting on these message boards or posting comments on a website post, you can say whatever you want. And a lot of things end up being uh, hateful and mean and illogical and just trying to be smart-ass oh, okay. and funny. And Twitter is like that too, really. Well, anything anything that mocks uh, assholes on the internet, I think, is fantastic. I've I've had to deal with my fair share of those. What's the but biggest? You, have you ever had like a huge asshole comment emailed to you based on something you wrote for Skirmish or Publishing? Uh, I've never I've never had an email sent directly to me. Um, I did I did actually read a very a very negative review of a product that I had uh, I had designed, hmm. which was um, it was a, the HGL's Morlock miniatures. It was a set of printable gaming miniatures that were all you know they all looked they all looked like Morlocks from HGL's uh, The Time Machine, which is a book I'm a huge fan of. I've read it several times. I'm I'm probably due to read it again this year. <laughs> but um, so you know, I have intimate knowledge of the Morlocks, and I try to do justice to all the best interpretations of the Morlocks and there was this really there was this really negative review and I and like looking through the negative review I was like well, wait a minute he's never he's clearly never read the book well the two things that I didn't like is that there was stuff that he was complaining about that if he had read the book I think he would have picked up on it really felt like he didn't know the source material and the other thing is like and they looked like 80s cartoon characters which is exactly what I was going for <laughs> the whole art style I used, it was all sort of inspired by the style used to draw the mutants on Thundercats. Uh, so, you know, the, the way they look kind of echoes that, but with bul- bulbous eyes. And I was like, no, no, that's not a downside. That's exactly what I wanted. You shouldn't be phrasing that as a negative. It's supposed to be retro. The the worst, um, although the worst piece of feedback I ever got was, uh, this was from several years ago at Gen Con, we ran a big uh, Cthulhu live event called Nyarlat Hotep and Miss Jones, which was a, a Cthulhu LARP based around, like, 1970s porno chic. It took place in, like, 1976 uh, in a mansion where these people are making what they believe to be the world's greatest adult film. And it was all very campy, all very over-the-top. Uh, and uh, on the Gen Con forums, you know, this thread had started, oh, you know, give us, you know, t- talk about your experience with events. And one guy posted about that event, and it was scathing. And the thing is, the first half of his of his criticism, I completely agree with. The event did run short. Uh, it it was supposed to last uh, about 
a half hour longer than it did, but certain circumstances made an early ending unavoidable. And and I and I I take full responsibility for that. But then the other half of the review was stuff that he couldn't know without reading every single piece of text I had written in preparation for the game. Uh, you know, it, it it should like the second half of the review showed me that he wasn't willing to invest any effort in the game, and he just wanted to show up and be entertained by all the other players. I think if there's a way I can arrange myself to be at a convention where uh, you're going to throw one of these things, you should do a Lovecraftian, the Keenan Yellow Strikes Back or something. Actually, that's what we're doing at Origins. We, we plan these things a year in advance. Uh, oh, okay. That's actually what we're doing at Origins next year. We're doing a massive, a 50-player Cthulhu Live event called The Doom That Came to Carcosa, which is all mm. about the King in Yellow. Well, if I can't show up to that, maybe I'll do a video for it, but... Um... Cool. That, this, this is probably the longest gaming-related oh, Jesus. I'm so sorry. <laughs> On SequelCast, we're supposed to be talking about Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, so, yeah, so we talked about the middle of this film, you know, kind of goes all over the place and the pacing kind of drops. But then when they go to Hollywood at the end, I think it really gets back on its feet. And I wish more of it would have done been like these Hollywood jokes. Oh, I know. Like I, right? I really felt like... I almost felt like they should have just ditched the road trip yeah, and yeah, had yeah. most of it be them in Hollywood dealing with security guards and executives and, and things and people trying to keep them away from the set. I uh, I watched this movie with my mom on DVD and I didn't think of the language in it beforehand so I was very embarrassed as I showed it to her. <laughs> and uh, there's the stuff at the end with Mark Hamill where he appears at himself and then he plays a villain called Cock Knocker in the... Uh, Blunt Man and Chronic movie. Okay, that Mark Hamill cameo. Yes. That was, like, when he comes out, like, I was almost kind of upset that it's like, hey, kids, it's Mark Hamill, applause. I felt that was kind of disrespectful to Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill felt that way as well. The reason they did that is because in test screenings, nobody knew who the hell that actor was. Well, that, well, that's... And Mark Hamill thought that was the point. If you didn't know who it was, like, so what? Well, that's the thing, though, is, like, that was a terrible costume to put him in. They should have put him in a costume where he looks, where you can recognize who he is. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, he's aged a lot since uh, uh, Star Wars, and he doesn't, you know, it's been, at, at this time, when this was released in 2001, it had been, you know, almost 20 years since Return of the Je- Jedi was released. Mm-hmm. And he's aged a lot, and so, of course, people don't recognize him. And he's been doing more uh, voiceover stuff. He hasn't done that much uh, work in front of the camera, really. Check him out in MacGyver, and then oh, erase oh. it from your mind. God, yeah, no, he's a reporter or a cop or something in MacGyver. He uh, acted as uh, Colonel Christopher Blair in some of the Wing Commander computer games. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, I mean, he is a really successful uh, career doing all that stuff. But, yeah, he's kind of come out of the limelight for live action stuff and um the thing my mom said when we were watching this is wow he's an ugly man oh wow. <laughs> which was like i thought really insulting and she said that several times throughout this movie and i mean to be i mean mark Ooh. hamill after star wars uh a new hope the the first film got in a really bad car accident and had to have massive reconstructive facial surgery and if you look at stills especially uh you know, from Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, you can really tell the difference, in particular in the nose. And also, he's aged a lot. And uh, I don't think it's a bad look, but it's certainly uh, different, right? Uh, plastic surgery being what it was in the late 70s. Well, you know, it was just, it's its its what happened. Although, frankly, I think it works, because they, like, in, in Return of the Jedi, they actually, they don't try to conceal any of his scarring, and it kind of fits that period in Luke Skywalker's journey. Right, and uh, you know, one day we'll talk about um, Star Wars on sequel cast. One glorious day. Hey Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about? Well Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders, but it's actually about comics. War Rocket Ajax, it's not about murders, but it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hunter Hunter, Yu Yu Show, Literary Analysis, Comparative Localization, Jojo References, The works of Yoshihiro Togashi hold a specific kind of magic, and the people who seek to examine their roots and spiritual descendants are known as The Spirit Hunters, available on the Greenlit Podcast Network. 
with Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, uh, you get, you know, a lot of Star Wars homages in the fight scene between him and Jay and Silent Bob are replacing uh, their parts in the film that are played by Jason Biggs and James Vanderbeek. Which was some great, like, crazy stunt casting when you got to see them, like, interacting with each other in costume. That's pretty funny. I really like Chris Rock as a... in there in his brief part as a director. But, but isn't, isn't he just affecting the same persona as the comic book, uh, the black comic book creator in Chasing Amy? Pretty much. I mean, he has, like, a assistant that comes to him, I think played by Jamie Kennedy or something. Uh, yes, it is Jamie Kennedy. And he says he says things like, "But your mama didn't think you'd come out to Hollywood to bring a nigga his coffee." And I mean, it's it's really funny. No, it it is it is funny stuff. But at the same time, I keep like I keep thinking that those words should be coming out of that other guy's mouth. Yeah, and that that uh, that actor, uh, you know, has a part in the very end of the film as a quick cameo. And so you get some action in the end. You get a lot of uh, funny jokes, and I think it really works. And I I wish. Uh, like you said earlier, Thrasher, I totally agree in that it should have been maybe less of a road trip movie and more. They get straight to Hollywood, and you get a lot more Hollywood uh, jokes. Some of them very inside baseball, as it were. Well, Might have helped the pacing that was, a bit. The thing when it got to the scene where they're on the set of the J- of the Blunt Man and Chronic movie, and they have the epic battle with Mark Hamill. That's when I really realized that I didn't like that. I that I just did not like the movie because. I, I felt like I wanted to see two hours of that. I did not yeah. want to see any of the other stuff I had seen. I, I felt cheated. I want to see the Blunt Man and Chronic movie they were making, not the Jay and Silent Bob movie that they made. Now, that would be weird if they did a movie just called Blunt Man and Chronic. I want them to do that. <laughs> Maybe they will. Uh, you know, I, I really like at the end, you, you pay off the internet gags in the beginning where they go to everyone that posted a negative comment about them online. And just beats them up, going door to door, flying around the country. Using their royalties from the movie. Yes. That was that was fun. I mean, that was that was that was a fun, like, nice ending. I did I did enjoy that. But like, I don't know, like the the the, uh, the superhero stuff on the movie set was just so good. I I wanted to know why I was just getting like such a little taste of that. Right. What do you think about the? Uh... The music sequence near the end, where they go to the concert by Morris Day and the Time, I, Jungle Love. I love that, but <laughs> I I love Morris Day and the Time. I kind of feel the same way about them that Chain Silent Bob do. I think that's a great song. It it really it always gets my feet moving. Yeah, it's uh, very catchy, and they in fact reference it earlier in the film. Yeah, which I like the way it paid off like that. That was a that was a yep. really nice setup and payoff. Um. Yeah, looking at the soundtrack to this film, uh, there was a, a hit from 2001 that was on the soundtrack called Because I Got High by Afro Man, yeah, this which the, is really funny. This is what catapulted him into the public consciousness, and then he vanished. Yes. He had an album or two. I mean, but that was a great number, I think, and I think they use it good in the film. It's it's quite good. I, 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 I think my favorite song, though, is Dirty Rap, but... Oh, okay. So, uh, uh, back when I used to work uh, with student media as a as a editor, uh, editor, content producer, and, and and radio personality on WRFS Savannah, the student radio station, we went to a student media conference. Uh, I want to say it was in Atlanta, but on the ride back, we, we were we were on a, a one of the school's buses. For whatever reason, on the ride back, the entire student media staff started singing that song. <laughs> hmm. You know, uh, people get bored quite often on those big rides. We we did. We had plenty to talk about, but for whatever reason, we start, so, someone like started that song, and then like just a bus full of full of twelve uh, media geeks started singing it and and doing a very good job. Excuse me. I also like uh, early in the film you get these uh, kind of modern day teenagers going to Jane Silent Bob and saying, "What are you rapping for? This isn't funny. You're so out of date." I thought was very meta. Well, I mean, they were kind of out of date in in uh, Clerks, quite frankly. But I think that works. Yeah, for them. they're they're two guys that are kind of trapped in their peak. Right, and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, looking back on Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back, I, I don't know if I'd recommend the film, but yet I think the beginning and the ending are so strong. Maybe just uh, watch like the first 10 minutes and the last 15 minutes. Maybe so, because you know what, what was driving me, what really drove me crazy about so much of the middle are so many fantasies, so, so many scenes that turn out to be fantasies. Yes, yeah. Like, and, and, it, and, and people reacting to the fantasies. I think there was, there was, a, there was just too much, you're riding a real fine line when you have a, when you show, like, when the scene turns out to be a fantasy. Like, you, you, you can barely get away with that once per movie. But this just keeps going back to it and going back to it and going back to it. Although I did like, uh, I did like uh, Jay having an uh, having a devil and a devil on his shoulders, <laughs> and then an angel that that knows dick etiquette and beats them up. Yep. But it was a good, it was a good like variation on that scene. So we recommend. After there were after there was a certain number of those fantasy sequences, I just started expecting every scene to turn out to be a fantasy, and I I couldn't invest in I could can't invest in potential fantasies. So, would you recommend this film? I I guess only only if you're a tremendous Kevin Smith fan. I think mm. I think if you're if you if you're already a very dedicated fan of, of Kevin Smith's work, you're you're definitely going to get more out of the movie than I did. But as as someone who's really just a fan of Kevin Smith the person and a fan of Dogma, I I just did not get that much out of this film. The whole middle section, I I hate saying this because this is one of the worst things you can say about a film. I I feel like the whole middle section was just wasting my time. Wasting your Morris Day in the time. Oh e oh e oh oh e oh. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I think the movie's uh, okay. I think the more Kevin Smith films you've watched, the more you'll get out of it. And, um, yeah, I, I started off pleasantly surprised and then disappointed, disappointed again, some more disappointment, and then kind of smiling again at the end. So, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know where that leaves me. I, I think I might like this one a little bit more than Mallrats, but, um, yeah, so that's our thoughts on Saints and Let Bob Strike Back. Now on Sequel Cast, we'll uh, talk a little bit about um, some of the stuff that's going on at SequelCast.com. We, there's some, some big changes coming, and some big staying the sames, too. There is. If you like you know, shopping at Amazon.com, uh, before you go, next time if you stop by SequelCast.com and click on one of our Amazon links before you go shopping, we'll get a, a, a cut of... Um, what you purchase, and that helps finance the show, because doing a podcast isn't free, and we appreciate whatever we can get. You can also donate via PayPal, and we got Google Ads on there as well, and you can also hear uh, SequelCast, as well as the other SequelCast shows, Sequel Commentary and SequelCast Special, on Stitcher, which is uh, an app for your mobile device, but you can also listen to it on your desktop or laptop computer. You can listen to podcasts streaming instead of having to wait for a big old download. And if you sign up at stitcher.com slash sequelcast, you get sequelcast added as a favorite, and you have a chance to win 100 American dollars. And uh, also at sequelcast.com, we've added a, a new Cafe Press store, so if you want to get a sequelcast t-shirt, mug, beer stein, uh, button, mouse pad, all the kind of stuff we have there at, at pretty uh, decent prices, I think, and, and those help us out too. So... If you want to go as a sequel cast fan for Halloween coming up, uh, <laughs> that might be a good place to get yourself outfitted with all the sequel cast swag. I like actually. I would like to see that, folks. Send in photos of you dressed as the sequel cast for Halloween. We will totally dig it. I'm going to post that on our Facebook page, and you can check that out at facebook.com/sequelcast. And we also got a Tumblr now at uh, sequelcast.tumblr.com where I post movie trailers for uh, f movies and franchises which is pretty amusing um, and what you can see me on Twitter uh, at sequelcast and you can follow Thrasher at internet mayor that is correct and uh, we'll move on to our segment here at sequelcast called pitch a sequel in which we pretend a sequel this is tricky with Fusk Universe basically we're going to pitch sequels to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back I'll begin. I will call it Jay and Silent Bob's Revenge. And it's about them 
kind of raising a, an army of their fans to go back to the Quick Stop convenience store and get revenge on uh, Randall and Dante for getting them busted for uh, marijuana possession at the beginning of James Silent Bob Strike Back. They raise their army and march like a, like a crazed village mob across the country to New Jersey to take down the convenience store that was once their favorite hangout and make it their own. Uh, they want to make it their own. Like their a, own banana republic. Their own banana republic, right. Their own little... I was going to say police state, but that doesn't quite work. But that, that's my idea for a sequel to Jan Silent Bob's Strike Back called Jan Silent Bob's Revenge. What's uh, what's your pitch, Thrasher? Well, I guess uh, my pitch uh, would be... Uh, would be Jay and Silent Bob strike back, strike back. Mm. Uh, it, it would be that there's going to be that for for whatever reason within the view of Skew Universe, the the Bluntman and Chronic movie becomes so big, uh, it becomes so big that it's uh, that there's going to be a sequel, but they can't get the original actors back, and and due to a fan campaign, and, and, uh, Jay and Silent Bob end up being cast in the roles of Bluntman and Chronic. However, just because of the law of diminishing returns. Uh, it would be full of even more like kind of crazy in jokes. This new movie is going to be directed by Joel Schumacher, so half of it is like the this crazy overblown satire of '90s superhero movies, like that movie being made with these characters, and the other half would be all would be mockumentary uh, behind the scenes antics. Hmm, I think uh, I think that could work. I think it's something a little bit different, and and you have nipples on the costumes. Nipples in the costumes, of course. Even more uh, superhero commentary. And Mark Hamill would have uh, nipples on his fist. Mmm, nipples on the fist. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, Okay, so uh, we're going to move on to uh, What You're Watching, in which we talk about, uh, you know, a book or video game or CD or whatever kind of media we've been enjoying over the past week. I will... Again, I've been um, watching a TV show called Revolution that premiered, and I like the premise, but I think the show itself is kind of mediocre. It's about what if all the electricity in the world just stopped working, and then it goes like 10 or 15 years later from that, and society has become a lot more, uh, I guess, like primitive, right? And how does society... How does society deal with that? And a lot of times it looks like a, a low-budget Hunger Games, and the violence is very muted because it's on uh, network TV. So I like the concept. I just don't find the show that interesting. Thrasher, what have you been watching? Well, I've been... Uh, I'm getting closer and closer to being done with, with re-watching uh, Jim Henson's Dinosaurs, which is what we, we talked about uh, talked about last time. Uh, I've actually, so that's really the only kind of TV slash movie sort of thing. Oh, wait, no! I'm sorry, I watched something this very morning while I was uh, doing some sketches for a, for a book I'm illustrating. Uh, I watched Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, I've seen that. Have you heard of that? Yeah, no, I've seen it. Yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's a satire of teen slasher films. Uh, with uh, Alan Tyduck and Tyler LeBane, uh, where it's it's some some you know t- typical slasher movie victim teens go out to to camp in the woods, get high, skinny dip, and have premarital sex. And it just so happens that their campsite is very close by this shack that these two hillbillies bought that they're trying to turn into a summer home. And the two hillbillies are just real nice guys. Except it very quickly becomes a farce where every time these these group of people meet each other, circumstances cause the hillbillies to look like redneck murderers. Uh, and the teens are so stupid, they keep accidentally killing themselves. And, and it still looks like the hillbillies are doing it. And just this escalating comedy of errors that eventually that leads to a very nice resolution. But it's great performances, some great slapstick murders. Yeah, I think, you know, it really is smart about it, and yet it's filmed in a way and has such scenarios that if you've watched a lot of, you know, old Friday the 13th movies and so on, you'll get a lot more out of it, I think, the more of those older films you've seen. 
And I thought that was pretty funny. And uh, I was trying to look up news about it. No word of a sequel yet. But... Well, I mean, how would you do a sequel to that? Like, I really don't want... Like, the, the only... You could only do a sequel sort of thematically where instead of where you, you take a film but make it a comedy... You take another type of murdering horror film but make it a comedy of errors. Like, you could do you could do a sequel... You could do a sequel if it was a parody of torture porn, where the typical torture porn movie victims end up stuck in some building where they're all being tortured to death, except the misunderstanding there is that this building is, in fact, a new wave art gallery, and all the torture devices are, in fact, found object, functional found object uh, art pieces, and that they're accidentally killing people. Hmm. You could do it that way, but you'd have to find a different kind of, of, of bloody horror movie and, and kind of create a similar comedy of errors. Yeah, uh, I've been playing... I, I, I guess I can talk about one more thing. I've been playing more of that video game I was talking about a few weeks ago on the show called Double Dragon Neon. Ooh. That's kind of like a retro beat-em-up thing. And the, and the soundtrack and graphics are just fantastic for the tone they're going for. And I'm at the next to the last level, and it, it starts to be frustrating in the same way those games it's trying to emulate were frustrating, and that you have a limited number of lives, a limited amount of energy, and the enemies get a lot of cheap shots on you. And I think I'm at the point where I've kind of had enough of my fun with it. I think it was worth the $10 I paid for the full version uh, on the Xbox Live is the version I played, but it's also available on PlayStation 3. And... Um, I think it's fun. I got a kick out of it. I think these kind of games are more fun playing multiplayer. So maybe that's what I need to do to try and finish it. Yeah, it's it's any game you can play with a buddy. I think is is better than a game you can play on your own. It's it's a real shame that like face to face multiplayer is really downplayed in modern gaming. Unless it's a first person shooter like Halo or uh, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. But, yeah. Um, what's something else you've been enjoying, Thrasher? Well, actually, I've been, um, I've been reading uh, a novel by uh, Rob, uh, science fiction author Robert L. Forward, uh, Starquake, which is his sequel to Dragon's Egg. And I've, I've actually I've really been enjoying that as well. It's um, the, the the sort of it's it's the, the the sequel. It's a sequel to Dragon's Egg. What happens in Dragon's Egg is that a uh, a rogue neutron star passes close by our solar system, so an expedition is sent out to to you know to to to, to investigate it and explore it. And what they end up discovering is that life exists on the surface of this neutron star, but because of the tremendous gravity and pressures and all the different you know forces involved. Um, you know, life as we know it is based around, you know, electrochemical reactions involving molecules and just, you know, big chunks of matter. But on this neutron star, life is based around the, re the interactions of subatomic particles. And one of the side effects of this is that, is that life on the planet passes very, very quickly. The aliens, for all intents and purposes, live on a different time frame. So, in, uh, and the explorers end up communicating with them and within a matter of hours the 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 intelligent creatures that live on the neutron star go from being barbarians to having technology that far outstrips anything mankind could ever develop in the next thousand years so where i am in starquake you know it's you know uh it, it starts as the uh, the expedition to this neutron star is getting ready to end. The aliens have figured out faster than light travel and all these other amazing things, uh, and the humans are getting ready to leave. And then there's there's a disaster on their spaceship, and so the book keeps cutting back and forth between a five minute period on the on the human spaceship where this disaster might be, kill everybody to several, effectively several years on the Neutron Star where the aliens are debating about whether or not they should try to save the humans. Does it ever get confusing, cutting between the two? Uh, once, I mean, once you, once you realize, you know, once you have it firmly in your head that the human side of the story and the alien side of the story sort of exist on different time frames, it's not, it's not really confusing. Although every now and then, thankfully, every now and then there is some sort of frame of reference provided, so you know exactly how much time has passed on the neutron star. Okay. 
But it's, it's one of those, it's one of those, it has a, a neat kind of, it has a cool concept, and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm about a third of the way through, and I'm enjoying seeing this story unfold. Pretty cool. Well, uh, next time on the sequel cast, next week, we'll be uh, routing out our look at the Kevin Smith uh, View of universe with Clerks 2. Oh, um, I did have a question. What did you think about the 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 the, the Daniel Mall, the the final section of the, of the film where we saw every principal character of every Kevin Smith movie leaving a theater? I like that. I think. I, uh, no, it's too much. Well, well, the thing is, I like seeing all those characters, and I like seeing them react to this movie. The the problem is, is their reactions pretty much boiled down to, "Gee, isn't that movie you just watched terrible?" Because they are, for all every comment they're making about the uh, Blunt Man and Chronic, is a comment that somebody could. It's very easy to make about Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, and it, you're not when you when you do that. Oh, and then of, or comments about how that kind of movie would never work. You're only allowed to do that once if you're talking about somebody else's work that was wildly successful. You can't say that about your own work. It just comes off as terribly self-serving. Like you're trying, like you're trying to create a piece of artwork that is thoroughly immune from criticism. Yeah, I think they're just poking fun at themselves. I mean, when Jane Silent Bob Strike Back came out, there was some protest from uh, the organization Glad saying oh, yeah. it was against gay people and stuff. When you have uh, some gay characters in the film, and you know, like at the beginning, it has George Carlin as a trucker that gives bloat as a not a trucker, he's a homeless guy. That gives blowjobs to get free rides across the country, and the film doesn't portray that in a bad way. It's just saying that's what this guy does in a well, comic fashion. Well, with, with George Carlin's uh, uh, hitchhiker character, it's it's not even it's not even like it's a, a homosexual thing. It's a business transaction, right? A business transaction well, uh, in the mouth. Well, and, the thing is, like, yeah. I guess the th- the thing is 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 that is that Jay is pretty homophobic and says a lot of homophobic things, but that's because Jay is a homophobe. He's, he's not someone that anyone should ever want to emulate. I mean, he's, he's a walking, talking bad example. Exactly. And uh, sometimes people can misunderstand that. Well, I think we've had a good discussion here about uh, sometimes about Jane's Helen Pobb strike pack. Uh, At the end of the podcast, the camera will pull out showing a giant book that Alanis Morissette is holding. Yep. It's a nice and callback to, to Dogma. Definitely. So, uh, check out more episodes, of course, at SequelCast.com, or check us out at Facebook.com slash SequelCast, and if you look up SequelCast, you can leave reviews. I was going to say on iTunes, but now that they've changed it with the iOS 6, you have to use a podcast app to leave reviews. On uh, It's very confusing. I'm not going to get into that rant. So, anyway. Uh, I see. For the SequelCast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher saying, "Oh we yo, we yo, we yo, we yo, we yo, we yo, we yo." Hey, we didn't. I was gonna say we didn't watch The Wizard of Oz, but oh we yo, we yo, we yo, we yo, very good. Great trumpet work in that too. My love.